Good morning, Dr. Dan Guerra, Authentic Biochemistry Podcast. It is the very first day of July, named after, of course, Julius Caesar, who um, corrected the calendar. Um, and yeah, it's the very first day of that month, and it's 2023. So I think because this is the 4th of July weekend uh, in the United States and its holdings, um, we're going to take a break from our immunoepigenetic arc because we would be hitting number 90 right now. So we, and I promised myself we're going to stop at 100. So we only have uh, 11 to go. So what I want to do is fill in, mostly out of sheer enjoyment, some background required coursework that you would need to have to take an authentic biochemistry course in a university. Now that is an authentic biochemistry course. Now, unfortunately, a lot of these prerequisites are completely waived, which means that you're waving away the understanding of biochemistry. You can't teach a person biochemistry unless they have a pretty good background in uh, general chemistry and then at least one semester of organic chemistry, mathematics beyond calculus one, maybe nonlinear algebra would work, uh, particularly in the graduate courses. And um, yeah, you also would need a fair amount of biology coursework, general biology, cell physiology, general animal and plant physiology, microbiology. These would all be 300 level courses, by the way. Um, and then a course in genetics and probably a course in molecular genetics to be able to get into a biochemistry first semester graduate course. If you had a baby biochemistry course when you were an undergraduate, that probably means you had those uh, most of those other prerequisites, but I would be seriously looking at your chemistry background. Okay. So because none of that avail, because this is an online course and it's not really even a course, it's an open lecture series. Uh, and what, because also we're not using a textbook. We're not going in and saying chapter one, thermodynamics, you know, although we cover things like the laws of thermodynamics, laws, of course, in scare quotes, um, we do that in reference to looking at primary uh, peer-reviewed published current literature. Um, but because it's a holiday and because, like I said, from sheer enjoyment, I'm going to go ahead and give you a lecture on hydrocarbons. That's right. And I might even like throw in, eh, when we get through this, I don't know, enzyme kinetics, something like that, because those are enjoyable topics for me, right? It's kind of like you're sitting back in an afternoon, you've done all your work and you're listening to music um, and you want to listen to, say, a Mozart serenade or a Beethoven quartet or maybe a Schubert piano uh, concerto or a symphony. That would be one thing. But if you just want to really relax, 
like sometimes what I would do is listen to 1950s bebop rock and roll. That's right. Now, I was I was barely born in that decade. I mean, in the middle of that decade, actually. But I do remember hearing that kind of music on my parents' car radio when I was really little. And so I think that's why it's fun to listen to. I also like the 40s music, and I certainly wasn't alive then. Certainly not. Um, but I do like that kind of music. And, of course, classical rock and roll. Aren't you glad I told you all this? Okay, hydrocarbons. Get ready. Get your pad and paper out and start taking voluminous notes. So what is a hydrocarbon? It's a compound. It's a molecule which consists of only hydrogen and carbon. Carbon to carbon can be single, double, or triple bonded. And the bonds are always nonpolar. More about that later. Alkanes are hydrocarbons with only single bonds. Alkanes can occur in what are known as homologous series, which means each successive compound differs from the one before only by a methylene group. Methylene, again, is CH2. Right? Now, the carbon-to-carbon -carbon bonds can be, again, single, double, or triple. So, for example, two carbons held together in a fully saturated hydrocarbon would be called ethane. Same two-carbon compound, if it had a double bond between the two carbons, would be ethene. Same basic um, atomic structure, but now with three bonds between the two carbon atoms would be ethine, and that would be with a Y. Okay, so basic, basic stuff. Carbon-to-carbon -carbon chains can be straight, branched, or, of course, in ring structure. Um, okay, so that's unnecessary consideration. Now, compounds that have the same molecular formula but different structures. That means arrangement of the atoms, right? What are they called? Isomers. So let's do some naming of alkanes, shall we? Yes, thank you. Identifying the longest continuous chain is important. Then the locations of the other groups of atoms attached to the longest chain will be identified and numbered by counting from the end of the molecule, which keeps the numbering system as low as can be possible. These are the rules, right? So hydrocarbon groups that are attached to the longest continuous chain are then named using the parent name and changing the suffix, for example, the A-N-E, ain, right, to a Y-L, ill. Okay. So recall the molecular form describes a number of different kinds of atoms in the molecule. Okay. And a structural formula will give you more detail. Right? Because it represents a two-dimensional planar on a piece of paper model of how the atoms are bonded to each other. So if you look at methane, CH4, the molecular formula is just what I said, CH4 with the 4 in the subscript. But the structural formula is going to have a carbon atom in the middle, 
and then above it a hydrogen, below it a hydrogen, to the left a hydrogen, to the right a hydrogen. And each of those hydrogens are going to be positioned with a straight line reaching from the carbon atom to the hydrogen. Okay, So that would be a very simplified structural formula for methane. Methane is definitely a hydrocarbon. Uh, well, so do you want to say anything else about that? Um, oh, yeah. When you think about the bonds there, that straight line of torch between carbon and hydrogen, that represents a pair of electrons. Okay. So it's not simply a line, it's a pair of electrons. So straight chain alkane is identified by the prefix N, small uh, letter. And for the for the word normal, and that's in also common naming system. Now a branch chain alkane isomer is identified by the prefix iso for isomer in the common naming system. So in the IUPAC name, isobutane is two methyl propane. So the carbon bonds are actually the same length, right? Throughout that structure. Alright. Now let's talk a little bit about alkenes and alkynes. Alkenes are hydrocarbons with at least one double bond. That's a that double bond between two carbon atoms, right? To show the presence of the double bond, the ane suffix from the alkane is changed to an ene, an ene. So the alkenes are unsaturated with respect to hydrogen. This means it doesn't have the maximum number of hydrogen atoms. That's what it means by unsaturated, as it would if it were an alkane. Alkane then being a saturated hydrocarbon. Okay. Now, naming is similar um, for, for alkenes to alkanes, except the longest continuous chain must contain the double bond. The base name now ends in ene, E-N-E. Carbons are numbered so as to keep the number for the double bond as low as possible, always. The base name is given a number which identifies the location of the double bond. So that's important, obviously. Because you can get what? Positional isomers. You can also get geometrical isomers, as you know, when we talk about fatty acids. Now, an alkyne with a Y there is a hydrocarbon with at least one carbon-to-carbon -carbon triple bond. Naming an alkyne is very similar to the alkenes, except that the base name ends in Y and E. Now, very seldom talk about triple-bonded carbon in biology. There are some exceptions, but almost never. So cycloalkanes and aromatic hydrocarbons have to, are a special case, and they're very important, actually, in uh, biology. So you have cycloalkanes, and they are alkanes. Remember, only carbon-to-carbon -carbon single bonds, but nevertheless form a ring structure. An aromatic compound is one that is based on the benzene ring. And a benzene ring, when it's attached to another compound, is not called a benzyl group, which you would think. It's called a phenyl group. Right? 
could be called a benzyl group. People won't be mad at you. And I would take points off test if you did that. So the straight chains have carbon atoms that are able to rotate freely around their single bond axis. And sometimes that links into a closed ring, see? Like cyclopentane. So there are ring compounds of multiple cycloalkanes that can be described. Cyclopropane, which is C2H6, cyclobutane, C4H8, cyclopentane, uh, which is C5H10, and cyclohexane, which is C6H12. Okay, those are the four going up the ladder for carbon number, right? Um, cycloalkanes that you might encounter. Now, the bonds in C6H6 okay, are something between a single and a double bond. And that gives it a different chemical property than an authentic double bonded hydrocarbon. So a six-sided symbol with a circle in the middle represents a benzene ring. Many organic compounds based on the benzene ring are then called aromatic hydrocarbons because they have an aromatic character, which means that they can be volatilized at or near room temperature. Now, that's not an actual definition, but that's a working definition. Right? So you have benzene. If you add a hydroxyl group to that, again, that's essentially a cyclohexane, right? Um, but you have this mesomeric sharing of the electrons, the pi electrons. So that's why you make it a ring structure with a circle in the middle, right? If you add a hydroxyl group to that, that's called phenol, the OL showing the alcohol. Methylbenzene, so substituting one of those hydrogens with a methyl group, uh, is a, a methylbenzene is also it's a, a cyclic hydrocarbon, but also has a common name that's toluene. And then one, two dimethylbenzene, two methyl groups to the one and two carbon positions would be xylene. Okay. Now let's talk about petroleum. This is definitely not biochemistry. I mean, except that petroleum runs a lot of systems that take care of biological systems like automobiles. Petroleum is a mixture of alkanes cycloalkanes, and actually aromatic hydrocarbons. And petroleum is formed by the very, very slow biological decomposition of marine life, but also of not just marine life, which is plankton and algae, which are basically um, unicellular plants. Um, but petroleum can also be generated from the decomposition of other biological material. Put it that way. Now, as petroleum is formed, it is forced through porous rock until it reaches a boundary layer. That boundary layer has to be impervious to the petroleum. At that point, it starts to accumulate and it can saturate that porous rock. 
And what that's called in the oil business is an oil field. Okay, just so you know. So petroleum was once used way back, uh, like around the time of Galen, for medicinal purposes. Now, to be used, it was first distilled. So that's, that's when you're using boiling point to separate different hydrocarbon fractions, right? And in fact, um, one of the early distillations that have been noted in human population is the distillation of ethyl alcohol. And this distillation to purify the ethanol fraction um, basically uh, ultimately involved into uh, the production of uh, all of the spirits, right? The alcoholic drinks called spirits with high ethanol content. <clears throat> Petroleum can also be used quite efficiently in lamps, okay, to fuel lamps for light. And when you have a clear liquid that can be obtained from certain kinds of distillation from petroleum, you can get kerosene. Okay. So I talked about that ethyl alcohol uh, fraction because you'll find ethyl alcohol in petroleum uh, oil fields. Okay. You will find some there. So. It's pretty easily separated out. I brought that up also because the distillation process, right? It's important in the um, fermentation industry as well. Not because of uh, fermentation is the same as distillation. It is not. Fermentation is a biological system um, forming ethyl alcohol. But it's because sometimes fermented alcohol products are then distilled. Now, crude oil is petroleum that is pumped directly from the ground. And what it is in terms of composition is a complex mixture of hydrocarbons with one or two carbon atoms up to a limit of about 50. And so it ha that crude oil by itself is not really very useful. So it has to be separated by fractionation and the most common fractionation for petroleum, again, is distillation. Okay. So crude oil from the ground is separate into usable hydrocarbons. Okay, And each petroleum product has a certain boiling point range. And they call that in the petroleum industry the cut of distilled vapors that can then be collected in condensing towers, right? So petroleum products, what actually are we talking about in terms of chemistry? Well, um, you have natural gas, which includes methane and ethane. You have LPG gas, which is propane and butane. So CH4, C2H6 for natural gas, C3, H8, C4, H10 for LPG. Petroleum ether, which is a common um, extracting solvent in lipid biochemistry laboratories, I'll tell you for sure. Always had petroleum ether in my laboratory. Um, that includes pentane, hexane, and heptane. So that's the C5 through C7 saturated hydrocarbon series. 
Gasoline also contains pentane, hexane, heptane, but also octane, nonane, decane, undecane, and dodecane. So the series runs in gasoline all the way from C, almost up to C4, but C5 to C12. Okay. Kerosene, higher. Um, carbon number you have starting with about dodecane and leading up to about pentadecane so c12 is c15 hydrocarbons diesel fuel c14 to c18 lube oils c16 to c18 in uh, chain length and um, you get the idea that as you're increasing chain length you're moving through these different petroleum products okay now, the octane rating, when you're talking about gasoline, is actually some kind of measured scalar. And it describes how rapidly gasoline will be burned. And it's based on n-heptane, which is C7, with an assigned octane value of zero. But it, the octane rating is also based on 2,2,4-trimethylpentane, also known as isooctane. It's a branched uh, structured compound. You can tell by the, the uh, descriptor I just gave you that the, uh, the chemical name for it, 2,2,4-trimethylpentane. And that has an octane number of 100. Okay. So the balance then, the octane rating is between zero to 100, pure N-heptane, pure isooctane, right? Now you get, let's get into hydrocarbon derivatives. Therefore, when one or more hydrogen atoms is replaced by an element or a group of elements that of course cannot be now hydrogen. So you have halogens, halogenated hydrocarbons, and those that include uh, F2, Cl2, Br2, Ia2, right? Fluorine, chlorine, bromine, uh, iodine. They can all add to hydrocarbon to form what's known as an alkyl halide. When naming the halogen, the I-N-E ending is replaced by an O. So you don't say fluorine or chlorine, you say fluoro, chloro, bromo, iodo, right? Okay. Now, here are some organic halides. Chloroform, CHCl3. Carbon tetrachloride, CCl4. Dichloral, difluoromethane, which is also known commonly as freon, which is CCl2F2. And then, of course, vinyl chloride, which is C2H3 chloride. Okay, vinyl chloride. There's a double bond there between two carbon atoms. And one of the substituents on one of the double bonded carbon atoms is not a hydrogen atom, but a one single chloride atom. Now, alkenes can also add to each other, and that's performed via addition reactions, and they can form then very long chain carbon compounds. 
Now, when that occurs, when you get these addition reaction products, that's called polymerization. And the atom or group of atoms that are added to the hydrocarbon are called, and I use this term already, functional groups. Functional groups usually have multiple bonds, or sometimes they can have simply lone pairs of electrons. If they have lone pairs of electrons, they're going to be very reactive compounds. Right? Now, here's the alcohols. Okay, we've already discussed them. Alcohol is simply when you have, um, it, it has a hydrogen that's replaced by what? An OH group. The OH group is also known as a anhydroxyl group. So the name of the hydrocarbon that was substituted determines the name of the alcohol. Alcohol is named using the hydrocarbon name and adding the suffix for the alcohol, so O-L. So methane is substituted with the hydroxyl group, it becomes methanol. Pentane with OH, pentanol. In general, for alcohols with more than two carbon atoms, you need the number the chain of the chain so to keep the alcohol group as low as possible in terms of terms of naming and numbering so you have methyl alcohol ethyl alcohol and propyl alcohol and isopropyl alcohol and the isopropyl alcohol is also known as 2-propanol right and if you look at the structural formula you'll see that these are all based on that straight chain hydrocarbon. And then you just talk about where the substitution is, where the hydroxyl groups are. Yeah. For that functional group, right? Now, back to gasoline. Gasoline is, because some of you are probably driving somewhere on your 4th of July weekend, right? Notice a lot of people left uh, this uh, rural area where I live nearby. And so I imagine they're going on a maybe a camping, fishing, or boating trip. So gasoline will be used. There's no doubt about it. Now, gasoline is a mixture of hydrocarbons. Um, for example, C8H18 is a very common one in gasoline. And so remember, that means it doesn't have any atoms of oxygen. So gasohol does contain ethyl alcohol. Of course, it's C2H5OH. And that means there is some oxygen in gasoline. Now, the addition of an alcohol to gasoline will add oxygen to the fuel, obviously. And since carbon monoxide forms when there's an insufficient supply of molecular oxygen, the addition of an alcohol to gasoline is, is theoretically helping to reduce the amount of carbon monoxide emission All right so you get the idea why this was set up this was first being discussed in the 1960s and scrubbers were put on a lot of uh, chimneys which were associated with industrial uh, uh, manufacturing companies say for example like the Fulton paper mill not far from here and that was to reduce one of the things we we're trying to reduce was co carbon monoxide Okay. So that's the idea of adding ethanol to petroleum, gasoline, right? And the OH group, of course, when you when you have it, is polar, and so short chain alcohols are therefore soluble both in alkane, nonpolar alkane, but also somewhat in aqueous, depending on chain lengths. 
So if an alcohol contains more OH groups, it's called a diol, it'll be more soluble in aqueous. And because it's called, because of that, we have a common name too. The diol sometimes is called a glycol. An alcohol with three hydroxyl groups is typically simply called triol, but sometimes it can be loosely termed a glycerol. But glycerol itself is three carbons in biochemistry, as you know. Yeah. Again, common names. So some common alcohols, you have ethanol, which is ethyl alcohol, right? You have ethylene glycol, which is 1,2-ethane diol. And then you have glycerol or glycerin. I told you it was three carbon. And that's basically 1,2,3-propane triol. Okay. Let's get into ethers, aldehydes, and ketones. And ether has a general formula, R-O-R. So diethyl ether, for example, would have a formula CH3, CH2, OCH2, CH3. An aldehyde is a carbonyl group. What's a carbonyl group? It's carbon double bonded to an oxygen. And that's attached to a terminal carbon atom. Whereas a ketone has a carbonyl group attached to an internal carbon atom. Now, the carbonyl group is present in both aldehydes and ketones. And so you have the carbonyl group, which is carbon double bonded to oxygen. You have an aldehyde where the carbon is still double bonded to oxygen, but also bonded singly to an R group, which could be hydrogen and hydrogen, whereas a ketone is double bonded to oxygen. And on either side of, and then the other two bonds for carbon are going to be other R groups.